This is your go-to podcast dedicated to getting the exclusive scoop from the industry's top influencers that are helping to shape the cybersecurity, audit, and IT governance landscape. Tune in as we dig deep and learn their motivators, explore their industry journey, and investigate their ideas and predictions on what the future holds. This is Isaka's CyberPros. Welcome to the show. John Brandt here, Director of Professional Practices and Innovation here at ISACA. Joining me today is my good friend, longtime friend, fellow Navy colleague, Dr. Chase Cunningham, a.k.a. Dr. Zero Trust. Chase, if you wouldn't mind giving our listeners a quick introduction. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so, you know, I've known uh, you for a while because we were at Fort Meade together. So I'm retired Navy, just like yourself. Uh, my work for the government after that did a bunch of uh, contracting work. Then I was lucky enough to go work at Forrester Research for a few years, did uh, analyst coverage on the zero trust space. And then most recently, I've been over at Aracom as the chief strategy officer building Zero Trust Edge. Awesome. Well, I am super excited that you're joining me here today. So kind of as a little preview for our listeners, um, we commissioned Chase to help us write the first white paper of 2022. It's on zero trust. It's really on the business justification side of things. Uh, not really so much on the implementation, looking at that, you know, as a sub subsequent piece here. But again, who better to kind of help this for our audience? Because there's a lot of, listen, there's some haters out there, right, when it comes to zero trust. I'll be the first one to say, and I kind of learned this a little bit from you in this space, right? We kind of, sometimes you have to rebrand for things to catch on, right? It's rooted in this whole assume the breach mindset, but that it's more than that. So if you wouldn't mind kind of talking me through the evolution of, and what it is and is not. Sure. So Z ZT actually goes all the way back to 2003, 2004 with a group of CISOs at that time, really ahead of the market CISOs that, that thought about what the world would look like when we didn't have a perimeter. And they came up with this idea called deperimeterization, which was basically what would security look like when there was no kind of firewall as the boundary of the enterprise. So that was 2003, 2004, very forward looking. Now that goes on for a few years. And then a guy from Forrester named John Kindervog goes out Here's what they're talking about and says, that makes sense, but we can do more with this. There's ways to make this better. And he formalized it into zero trust, because if you really think about it, what are you getting rid of in a strategic approach to security? You're removing trusted relationships. So John's thing was, let's go to zero. And that was zero trust. And that that kind of uh, put that, that space into slow progression for quite a while. I came on in 2000. 16, 17-ish at Forrester and said, John's idea is great. Um, I think that there's a way to look at this from kind of the red team perspective, because I was one, and map it around a framework. And I created what was called the Zero Trust Extended Ecosystem Framework. That was the formalization of how technology could map into John's big, grand, strategic thing. And then from there, it just took off. And I think it was really because of a uh, a realization in the market, we couldn't do things the same way and expect a different result. And we're, you know, formally practicing ZT now globally. So it's, uh, uh, it's evolved over the course of 20 years, which is pretty substantial when you think about technology changes every six months. But in reality, this strategy has been in place for two decades. So on that, right? So this is a good thing, because, you know, oftentimes when I'm reading things, 
people are getting, it seems like they're confusing the approach, ZT the approach, versus the architecture. So from your perspective, right, and I'm, I'm sure you encounter this, right, you know, the, the, the analyst that you are in the work you continue to do, how do you help the lay person who is getting hung up on that to differentiate the two? So I think the, the biggest thing is to start with the approach, the strategy side, right, is to understand this is going to be the thing that you're subscribing to. The federal government now has done this. The Biden administration issued an EO on it. It is it is a grand strategic initiative. And the goal there is to say, when you say, what do we have as a security strategy? Our strategy is to enable zero trust. There you go. That's it. So work around do it. That Do that yourself. However, you're going to make it work. This is a strategy. It's not something where there is someone on high going, thou shalt do X to equal ZT and holding two tablets with their big gray beard. That's not this thing. It's, it's how you do it, how you enable it. There is no ZT button. So realize that. And then the far end of that, is when you're talking about architecture, think about that constant piece of boiling off what the bad guy needs to be successful, removing inherent trust, and then also continually pushing the marathon approach of what you're doing and how you're going to continue to grow. That that will get you towards a zero trust architecture. There is the good thing about the real value of this approach and the architecture is there's no one size fits all. This is used by your organization to do things that matter to you but ultimately it's about removing what the adversary needs to be successful. No, that's actually really good. And, you know, and, and something just came to mind here as we were, as we were iterating through this, uh, this paper, you know, that we're going to be releasing here uh, later this quarter was, you know, ultimately it boils down to principle of least privilege and need to know, right? At the end of the day, we've all been in companies and you would just change job to job or just based on your your rank or your you know your hierarchy in the company you just get this aggregate of permissions that are highly unnecessary and we don't need to beat a dead horse in the, in this case of if you're a key person in a company you have a bigger target on your back right fair yeah um so the more access that you have the, the greater threat you have so i do like that in looking putting it on the roadmap in the strategy and having something always map back to as to this is why we're doing x y or z it just makes sense to me however at the end of the day right as we often see Putting things into practice sometimes becomes a little problematic, right? It's 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 harder to do than say. So, before we kind of dive in, you know, further, again, what what are those things that when you're advising clients on that the way that they go about this? Well, number one is just like in anything else, know where you are, have a really good asset inventory, have a really good baseline, have a really good understanding of the boundaries of your enterprise, right? So know where you are, and then second to that is to start really looking at what would the bad guy want me to have for them to continue to be successful in my enterprise and start baking those off. I mean, I did some work with a really giant provider. And the funny thing was, was, you know, you would think they had this mega crazy AI powered, whatever. The first thing that they focused on for like 18 months was nothing but burn down list on bad usernames and passwords. And the reason they did that was, this is what the bad guy needs so that they can move laterally excessive privileges, da, 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 da. They did that. Then they moved on to other things. So it, it, it's, I think it's very, what I tell people is being very pragmatic and looking at it from the perspective of victory for the bad guy, victory for the adversary, not perfect defense for you because 
there is no perfection and you're never going to keep them out. That's why the assume breach thing is so realistic and so pertinent. So on that, right, and you've touched on it twice here. So let's, let's dig into that. What do the bad actors need to be successful? Why are they still winning? Well, I think one thing that they need is for us to rely on technology to save us. I mean, I, I, I we've spent, I, I think I put the numbers together for another paper, but I think it was on average in the hundreds of billions of dollars now to solve cyber. If money was going to solve this problem, folks, we would have solved it. So it's not about dollars that are throwing at the problem. Number two is they really, and this is speaking from someone that's done work in you know the underground and, and red teams or whatever, the bad guy needs you to leave easy avenues of compromise. They need you to rely on people clicking phishing links. They need you to rely on bad usernames and passwords, excessive privileges. They need you to rely on that for some reason, Windows invokes PowerShell from Word, crazy application accesses, those types of things. So if you can remove this laundry list of what is easy, low hanging fruit for the bad guy, you make yourself a harder target. And like I say, it's not about being perfect. It's about being better than the next cat down the street. Unfortunately, in cyber, it's really looking at, I want my house to be as defended as possible. If you're my neighbor and you're not, and the bad guys come to you, sucks for you, but Chase is okay. So I listened to your most recent podcast this morning, right? And I always and I always find myself laughing just because <laughs> of your approach and everything. And it is, it's so honest and in your face, right? And what I've been reading of late is, you know, every time a new technology comes out or some convergence of technologies, we just think it's a panacea. It's going to take us to the promised land. It's the silver bullet or, or whatnot. But the reality is it doesn't matter what, what it is. At the end of the day, all technology is fallible. Everything's going to be vulnerable. And if we don't know about it, we just don't know about it yet. Like that's not to say tomorrow. Blockchain is one of these things, right? Like blockchain of late has been getting bludgeoned. But but crypto's unhackable. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, it was promising, you know, that the good doctor here, you know, claimed it, you know, that you don't really, you know, you don't know much about crypto. I thought that was hilarious. I, I'm, reading, right? I'm learning, I'm trying, but I don't right. I'm I'm no expert on that stuff. I avoided it all costs because as we're seeing right now, especially with the Ukraine situation kind of boiling up is, um, listen, all of this, the more we want to go away from physical currency, it's not going to work out well for anybody, right? When you can't get access to resources or be able to buy anything, but that's a different, totally different podcast we can dwell on. We talked about what, you know, what the bad actors need. We know like there's just a lot of low hanging fruit. It's been masked as like cyber hygiene or stuff like that. Okay. I get it. Right. We know that it ultimately boils down to least privilege, need to know. Okay. Cool. Something that I remember you, you had talked on something and I think it was back last summer and it was, and I was meant, I was like, if I ever get you on a podcast, I want to ask uh -oh. about it. And there was a technology, you interviewed somebody and they had this technology that basically put an enterprise in a wrapper. Yeah. And, and, I don't, and I don't remember who it was, but the, what I remember thinking was all that, it sounds like a big Band-Aid. So your, your organization is hammered and we're going to put another layer around it. Maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't, but it doesn't address the underlying fractures, right? So you can not change anything you're doing, go buy something that basically encapsulates your network. But once somebody finds a way through that, which they will, 
then you're right back at square one. So what are your thoughts about some of these different approaches to try to solve longstanding issues? I actually do a lot of workshops with people and I, I try to make it a point not to talk to them about cybersecurity technologies because immediately we go down the rabbit hole of who's who knows more about the market and blah, blah, blah. I, I actually ask this question to, to folks when I do workshops is, do you think if I was out of shape and overweight and didn't work out that if I just stabbed myself full of steroids, I would suddenly win Mr. Universe? And everyone goes, well, no, that's stupid. I say, okay, well, isn't that kind of the same thing that you're expecting in cyber is that you've built this infrastructure, you've built this architecture, you've put weak things in place, you've caused the avenues of compromise to be present. Do you think injecting the magic cyber steroid is going to fix that problem all of a sudden and move you to Mr. Universe or Mrs. Universe levels for what you're doing? No. So then that means we have to fix this long term strategically with the basics and do it right in a, in a, in a continual process. Otherwise, we're just going to be overweight and out of shape with a bunch of steroids running around through our body and making us sick. No. And, you know, and that takes us right back to, and, and, you know, again, if you have the right strategy, the strategy should inform your business requirements, which should, and I, I stress should, inform better procurement, right, at the end of the day. And I, one of the things I always, this constant theme I hear that I take away every time you you talk about ZT or interview, uh, you know, different solution providers that are out there is that, you know, an intangible benefit ZT allows you, you have to know what you have. So that exercise of catalog and everything you have, and not just on the assets side of things, but what are the solutions you have? And you've highlighted where there's a lot of uh, repetition, right? And and listen, and I, you and I come from the same community where two is one, one is none. And, and whereas some of that becomes a good thing, but in the corporate sector, dollars and cents break budgets. What we saw, and I hope it's not as prevalent anymore, but up in, you know, even when as recently as five years ago, I remember hearing folks talk about that, you know, their CFOs were just freaking out when they wanted to walk away from a financial investment, but it didn't meet their needs because they basically bought a bad bill of goods. It didn't do what they thought it was going to do. So anything you want to add on that there? Yeah. I mean, I, I did a workshop uh, for with a cruise line. And the funny thing was they had had, I believe it was seven CISOs in four and a half, five years. And they had 40, 50 plus security solutions in there. And then, and then when you really look at it and take the framework and sort of map it and go, okay, we have just mathematically, we have two or three solutions in each one of these buckets, probably solving similar problems, which one is the most applicable for our uh, problem that we're solving and which one are we getting the most value out of? That's where you would make your decision in anything else. I It continues to confuse me that in cyber, we run into this issue of, I need the best of breed. I need the, you know, the coolest, craziest Lamborghini, whatever. When in reality, in any other space, you would look at what does what, what problem it solves and what value you're getting out of it for the business and make your decision around that. And you would get rid of anything else, like you said, because it's extraneous cost. Why don't we approach that in cyber the same way? I don't know, but we're starting to see that become a thing. Um, and for the CISOs that, that are out there, like, they're running into that problem of the days of us in security getting a, a blank check to defend our enterprise, they're over. Because if you look, there's been lots and lots of breaches, lots and lots of headlines, not lots of businesses have crashed because of it. So we can't, we can't continue to win blank check sort of approaches to the problem with the chicken little uh, sky is falling type of scream. 
Well, and, and I'll use that as a segue, right? ISACA has been d- conducting its state of cybersecurity research annually for eight years now. And what we've seen in, in the past several years is this leveling out of the budgets, right? So there's some peaks and valleys, but they're becoming less frequent. And, you know, and what we saw last year with the pandemic we didn't see a spike there, which was kind, of, which on one hand was very favorable, right? There wasn't any reactive spending, but at the end of the day, like depending on what your geography is, you know, what your industry is, how, what kind of a beatdown you took, is going to determine how much more money you're going to get. So you earlier you had talked about you know the um, you know the Biden administration's executive order and you know and you and I we're we're kind of critics when it comes to anything down the legislative lane and and I know enough to be dangerous of just it's written vague enough and it all boils down to interpretation and how some agency head is going to either like it or stonewall until the, until we, you know, the next changing of the guard, so to speak. So what are your thoughts on the ZT executive order in particular? What's done right? What do we still need to do? Well, I think it's good that we see this finally happening from on high. For a long time, we've had like, you know, government CISO kind of trying to get this done from the White House, and it, it fell on deaf ears, to be perfectly frank. I mean, Greg Tuhill was the first federal CISO. He did amazing work there, but he didn't get this kind of push down from the White House. And now it's finally come and there's funding behind it, which is the big deal. You and I both know in the government space, if there's not dollars and cents, if there's not a pot of money they can pull from, it's a dead issue. Doesn't matter if it's the cure for cancer. So this being funded and this having line items in it, I think is a really good approach to where we're going. It's going to continue to get bigger, better, faster. But like I covered in my last podcast, because I I have no real life outside of cyber, and I read through the entire Strengthening America Cybersecurity Act, which is 200 something pages, there's only 31 lines related to ZT in that. And you have to kind of wrap your head around the, the approach of from on high, people in Congress writing legislation, the Senate doing this thing, how the Hill works and where all the money comes from, that there is a uh, a time horizon for this to be a thing. And it, I, I think I think it's great that it's from on high. I think that it's amazing that we've had the people do the work they've done to lay that groundwork. But it, we have to be pragmatic and realistic about this and understand it's going to continue to evolve as this goes on. Five years from now, we'll still be talking about ZT and the federal government just because that's how it works. No, you know, and you nailed it there. And I, and I did, I listened to that, to that podcast and it seems to me like it should have been flipped, right? The whole bill should have been anchored in ZT. If I recall correctly, right, you touched on this, the national telecommunications, I forget, it was NTIA. Cyber literacy. Yeah. Yeah. So they're going to get a pot of money to do, uh, you know, digital literacy. Right. And and I agreed with what your points were is that, you know, anybody who's working in an enterprise right now in any company, you know, fishing training, none of this is new. Right. Is there probably a small percentage that's not getting it? Sure. But to me, it sounds like a Band-Aid because we're not planning for the next generation because you know, this STEM initiatives and everything that are happening early on, you know, in that K-12 thing are very fragmented. And that was our opportunity to do it. But because, again, because of how money flows and in which agency can do what, we ultimately end up being hamstrung here. And that is a little disappointing. So I totally agreed with your points. I think it's wasted money. But at the end of the day, a time will tell, right? 
Yeah, if we had it, if we had a dollar for every, uh, or if we had a nickel for every dollar the federal government, you know, pissed away on other stuff, we'd all be retired by now. Right. Exactly. You know, I admit it always takes me back to all these unfunded requirements, right? You always had a wish list of what you wanted to spend when there was extra money. And that's what's ultimately going to happen here. There's money that's going to get swept up and get reallocated to other things. And that's kind of where we fall down. But let's pivot away from, from that there because there's only so much you and I are going to do, you know, in that regard. What have you noticed about attack trends this past year, right? In this paper that we write, chock full of examples, really, there's some, there's some constant themes in there. Let's talk about those a little bit. The biggest one for me is the, the ransomware epidemic. I mean, that's the thing that uh, I think that there's two trends there. Number one, we're seeing this become more personal, if you will, where you can tell that the, uh, the adversaries are spending their time to really understand what they're doing and where they're doing it and how they're going about the attack because they want maximum success. They want maximum return on their investment because it is an investment for them. And the other piece is, if you look at this, it continues to prove that what we're talking about conceptually in the realm of ZT makes a heck of a lot of sense. Ransomware, in the majority of instances, which we cited in the paper, invokes PowerShell. That's what it does. So therefore, if we if we back up, therefore, if we remove and isolate applications to do only things that applications need, like not invoke PowerShell from Word or PowerPoint, we have substantially increased our security posture. And again, it'll be harder for the bad guy to do what they're doing and they'll go find something else. So I, I think that the trends continue to indicate that we're not wrong. And that for me is a good place to be. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, and you know, what gets somebody's attention more than locking them out of systems and demanding money, right? At the end of the day, like it's right there in your face. And I think that's one of the things that has plagued the industry. And you talked about, you know, we've we've largely reinvented the wheel on so many aspects of, of what we've done. It's promising to see that there's some convergence into the business. We're starting to normalize some of this. But to your point, like it is, it's still frustrating on so many levels. Cloud. Okay, so you know, every cloud first, right? We have all these movements going on, and you know, it's in in listen, at the end of the day, I'm a fan. One of the things that really concerns me with with what I'm what I'm observing, and, and I want your thoughts on this, is we're seeing a whole lot of mergers and acquisitions going on right now, and it's shrinking the market. And you know, and even from an M and A perspective of players in the market to these big tech conglomerates, translates to risk, right? So everybody wants to say, "Hey, cloud is cloud first, but I think there's there's not there's been very few people who weren't affected when there, we had the outages of late on you know Office 365. We've had some Azure and AWS stuff. Like it's a big deal. So if you wouldn't mind, give our listeners you know your thoughts on any of that and uh, and the things they need to be guarding against with the with cloud movement. I mean, cloud is cloud is great. I, I, I'll die on the hill that I think cloud is the best place to enable ZT because it is dynamic. It is a greenfield environment. The capabilities work at scale. Um, and that's where you're going to go anyway for cost primarily. So I think cloud is, is where the, uh, the enterprise evolves to. However, um, I think organizations have to be very realistic and understand, again, the adversary wants you to be in cloud for those very same reasons, because it's big, because it's fast, because it's dynamic, because it moves because it's not controlled by any one entity. It works very, very well for you if you're an adversary. So you have to be real about that. And then the other piece 
is to understand that as you move to cloud, not taking your old failed approach, your failed side of the equation and shoving it into cloud and going, okay, we're cloud now, so we're good. That's just taking something that was bad and making it worse. Um, it, it just it just gets really, really bad, really, really fast in cloud. So there's got to be a very pragmatic, very practical, very long-term approach. Strategic concepts continue to apply there as well. And you know, to your other part, mergers and acquisitions, I mean, that's great for the market. Um, I think, honestly, with some of the bigger players in the space, we're kind of at a spot where I'm wondering when the uh, antitrust conversations are going to happen up on Capitol Hill, because it's kind of like the cows watching the grass grow lately. Yeah, no, that that's a great point. And, and there has been some of that, right? There's there's a little bit of movement. It, it's not been... It hasn't been as prevalent as you thought it would be, right? Recognizing, at least here in the United States, how antitrust laws work. But, you know, one of the things, again, we we talk about cloud movement. And again, I, I agree with you in a lot of regards, you know, again, from a positioning in the workforce. And this is kind of how a strategy can inform what you need tomorrow is we've kind of gone backwards to early 2000s where now you really you're going to have to have team members, you know, employees or or hired hands that can specialize in securing different aspects of your business here. Because to your point, they're a service provider. Microsoft never was in the business of, of securing their stuff. They've gotten a little bit better, but if you wanted a security vendor, you went to a security vendor, not to the OS provider that is just really focused on user experience. But I'm going to poke the bear because you know me, I like controversy here. And and the one thing about ZT that always gets some people riled up, and we got some feedback on this on the paper, was the VPN, right? So Dr. Zero Trust here with the, with the Kill the VPN movement, I'm with you, right? But let's, let's just, let's keep it real for our listeners. Where's the VPN? Where can it help? Where's it a liability? And then what are the things that we just, we need to move towards? Yep. So the VPN is a useful solution to get you past the pandemic, which it seems like we're starting to move into some sort of semblance of what the past that might look like. The VPN is useful for the legacy sort of approach to enabling a user to get to infrastructure. So if you need to do that and you need to survive in that space and you don't have access to really up, up the game right now, great, use the VPN. However, realize that the VPN also gives the adversary that pops that VPN box direct access to everything inside of the enterprise. And it may go very, very deep and it may have other accesses and other things that you're not necessarily aware of. So that's probably a bad thing. You want to move to a ZTNA, Zero Trust Network Access type of solution set that will allow you to move off the VPN. It's very easy to use. The user doesn't get impacted negatively by that. It works with all your IDP, IAM solutions. It's integrated. All you got to do is jump on the network and, and go. And it makes, it, if you want proof that that works, look at Google. Google's been doing this since Operation Aurora. Have you seen Google in the news since Op Aurora? No, because they moved to this type of approach. They call it something different and it's a slightly different version, but it's basically what we're talking about, SDP, ZTNA. So you want to get there. You need to get there, I think. But again, it's about your business. It's about what you do. It's about how you do it. If this is where you're comfortable at for now and it's making things okay, then live with the VPN for the time it is. But realize it is an avenue of compromise. No, those are great points here. And I, and, you know, and I'm sure our listeners and I do appreciate you actually talking about, you know, both sides of it, right? Uh, and I think oftentimes there's also 
I think where where we where we lose some bit is is where you know somebody's looking at it through two different lenses, which is the enterprise lens versus the consumer, right? And, and you know, from what we're talking about, we're looking at corporate America and whatnot, not necessarily you know the individual who's trying to maximize their security or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So you know, in closing here, what's next in twenty twenty two for security? We're, what things are coming down the pike? What things are already maybe here that aren't getting enough traction? Well, I think the biggest one is we're seeing it right now that the the, the days of arguing that cyber is not a warfare capability is is gone. It's a first strike capability. We're seeing that with what's going on in the Russia conflict right now. We're going to see more of it. I hate to break it to folks, but you will. We will probably be included in some of that. The other piece that I think is going to be new and pushing hard into the space is the data security side of the problem. I'm already seeing a lot of small vendors that are doing better things in the data security piece. This is the last avenue of problem that, that we haven't really solved for very well. DLP didn't quite deliver the second coming that we were hoping it would, um, but data security is now becoming a addressable problem with a lot of these solutions. So I think we're gonna see more of that. And if you really think about it, if everything goes to hell, what's the last thing I need to protect and take care of? Data. So if I can do that, I also all of a sudden wind up with a whole different approach to the problem. No, that's great. So, you know, we covered a lot of ground today. We talked about, we kind of demystified uh, ZT, you know, talked about its origins and, and obviously your time at Forrester was very beneficial, your exposure to uh, John Kindervag. We touched on the uh, U.S. legislative efforts there, talked about some attack trends and, and more importantly, like what the act, bad actors need to be successful and how to kind of peel that off. So I really hope all our listeners here truly found value in this. Again, this is my, you know, the shameless plug for the the Zero Trust white paper that's going to be coming out later here in first quarter. Chase here is runs his own podcast, and I don't want to miss the opportunity here. You know, and, and as far back as we go in our in our relationship here, you know, is some of it's in jest, but seriously, you know, Chase, you as Doctor Zero Trust and your branded stuff there. Is there anything you want to kind of give a plug that I didn't already recognize? For our listeners. Um, yeah, please check out the podcast. I don't make any money off of it. I put it all out there because I think it's important to contribute. Um, I have a newsletter if you like reading about ZT stuff. Again, I'm not charging for any of it. I just do it because I care. And then um, I've got books that are published. If you like reading cyber stuff, you probably won't find somebody that writes more cyber junk than I do. So, you know, go check it out and uh, let me know what you think. I love getting feedback. All right. Well, that's awesome. Yes. And I've been following you for a long time, been pivotal since, you know, your the cyber children's books there with Sinja and, and kind of watch them. Super proud of you, man. We've, you and I both have come a long ways, right? Um, <laughs> you know, tatted up in beards and all. So uh, I really appreciate your time today. I really, I had a, I, I knew this was going to be a lot of fun and we were just going to have a very good candid dialogue. And that's really what's important. So uh, again, Thanks to you, Chase. Uh, I'm John Brandt. We're here at Isaka. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To listen to more podcasts from Isaka, please visit isaka.org slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe for upcoming episodes.